we do really live in some uncertain times. Uh, we do live in some things that make people feel anxious. And when you feel anxious, you, you have this, just this distress, just this thing that consumes you. I looked at the definition of anxiety, and basically, in a nutshell, it means it's the distress or uneasiness of mind that is caused by the fear or danger of misfortune or of uncertainty. It is a continual state of mental apprehension and tension that is suffered. I don't know if that's what you're experiencing now. I don't know if that's what you're going through. But the question that needs to be asked for all of us is what causes anxiety for each of us individually? What makes you to feel anxious? Because that in and of itself is very subjective in nature. What makes you anxious may not necessarily make me anxious. Um, I get anxious around the spider. I don't like spiders. Other people are fine. Some people get anxious around mice or rats. Some people get anxious over various things. It might be uh, the loss of a job. It might be financial insecurity. There are limitless issues that can cause us anxiety in relationships, in professional careers, even just personally. There are various sources of anxiety or things that cause anxiety for people. Now, I wouldn't, cause my, I wouldn't call myself a very anxious person, but like most people, there are certain things that can grab a hold of us, certain things that can consume us and affect us negatively. Let's take, for example, I know you've, you're probably sick of hearing this, but let's take this lockdown, for example. My anxious thoughts regarding this lockdown, I guess you'd say, have been caused not so much by the lockdown itself, but by the lack of answers from the people in leadership. Uh, it might be the change of information about this vaccine or that vaccine and the constant inconsistencies that are communicated because it reflects to me that a lot of people don't know what's really going on. Uh, it reflects to me that people are sort of making it up on the fly. And that in itself can cause people to be anxious. So this word that we're going to look at this morning, uh, we're going to look at a word from the scriptures that prayerfully might help us to live above anxiety. Live above anxiety. So let's open a word of prayer and then let's look at the scriptures together. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much that you never change, that you continually stay the same, that without you there is neither any variableness or shadow of turning, that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. Therefore, we come before you, our sovereign God, and ask that this morning, as we look into your scriptures, you might speak to our hearts, you might calm our spirits, you might settle our minds, so that we can truly live above anxiety, because we are held within the hands of the Almighty God. So please, speak to us now. Please, minister to our hearts. Please, change our perspective. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Living above anxiety. Now you'll notice, living above anxiety doesn't mean living without anxiety. It doesn't mean you're going to be free completely of anxiety. Living above anxiety means that anxiety, those feelings of anxiety, the unsealedness of spirit, are kept in their right place. Living above it means that you stand over it. Or in other words, you are victorious. 
And that's what we want to look at today, about living in victory over anxiety. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians is one of these great books of encouragement that, 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 that form for us a foundation upon the person of Christ, the, the, the backing of the almighty God is communicated in these pages of Philippians, regardless of the context that you're in. For example, you have these beautiful truths about God's presence and his involvement with us in Philippians 1.6, you know, that he's con- being confident that he's working with us. Uh, chapter 2, verse 13, that talks about us being um, in God's will, both to, to will and to do, that God that works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. We have these stirring exhortations about how we are to treat each other. For example, Philippians 1.19, how our love should abound more and more. Um, second, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we are told to have the same mind of Christ as well. And to look at needs greater than ourselves or at other, others' needs over our own. Um, we have this outright challenge to lean into what we have been made in Christ. When we look at uh, Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to look at that a little bit later on, so I won't make reference to it here. But you see, Paul is in a literal lockdown at the moment as he's writing these pages to the Philippian church. He's under house arrest, and he's under, I mean, we have freedoms. He has no freedoms at all. And so he actually speaks from personal experience where under a literal lockdown, he talks about from the scriptures how he in turn can live above anxiety. So we begin chapter 4 in this way. Um, I'll read, I'm reading from my CSB, I'm going to read verses 1 to 6 if you'd like to follow along with me. So then, my dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended to help, um, for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. Or in the NIV, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Read verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we're going to look at three things this morning about living above anxiety that Paul shares with here in this passage I read. The first is this. The first key to live above anxiety is this. To stand firm in the Lord in this way. To stand firm in the Lord in this way. He says, I'll read it again. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. What does that mean? What does it mean to stand in the Lord in this way? What it means is that there's an instruction that Paul has given that we as Christians are to continue standing in. 
By way of illustration, Jono taught me how to shoot a basketball. Now, I, I could play basketball, not very well. I still can't play very well. But Jono taught me how to shoot a basketball. Uh, just a free throw. And he taught me a particular way, how I'm supposed to have my feet, how I'm supposed to have my knees, how I'm supposed to have my, my, the way I hold the ball, and everything from, the, from that to the follow-through. So start at your feet, work this way up to the follow-through. In this way, if I want to keep consistent in my success in shooting three throws, not three throws, free throws, then I have to continue that style, that technique. I'm going to continue that action in this way for me to continue because it's ended up being successful. Tommy Lee taught me how to hit with table tennis and he had hit properly. If I want to continue being successful or to improve in that manner, then I have to continue hitting in that particular technique, in that particular style, in this way. Nick Finn taught me how to kick a soccer ball. I'm not going to kick one. I'm not a sportsman, not a proper sportsman, none of these fancy things like playing soccer. But he told me when I kicked the ball once, how I'm supposed to follow through, where I hit the ball on my foot. He probably doesn't need to remember this, but how I kicked the ball and how I'm supposed to follow through when I kicked the ball. I'm supposed to continue with that, if I'm being consistent or improve in that, I'm to hold that technique in this way for it to actually take place. So, in living above anxiety, so too do the truths that have been communicated to us from Paul. He says, if we are to live above anxiety, we are to stand firm in the Lord in this way. So, jump back to chapter 3. If you jump back, at cha- if you jump back just to some of the truths of chapter 3, there's some amazing treasure troves of things that we are to continue to walk in, the technique we're to hold in this way in the Lord. For example, there is this understanding that how we are not there yet, as reflected in chapter 3, verse 12, regarding our sanctification. But yet, even though we are not there yet, we're told to press on and hold on to Jesus, to take hold of him. He's our goal. That's the focus of where we're aiming. In verse 13, we have the choice of forgetting what's behind and reaching forth to those things that are before. Forgetting those things that are behind, not only your failures, not only your disappointments, not only your discouragements, but even some of your successes. That you don't live off the victories of the past, but continue to gain more victories. In verse 13, we're told about the pressing toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In verse 14, We're told of our unity that we are to have, to be of one mind, and that we are also open to correction when we start straying off in verse 15, that the Lord reveals to us where we're going wrong. In verse 16, we have, oh, sorry, that was in verse 16, sorry. The the eager expectation and the awaiting of Christ in verse 20 and the heavenly hope of our ultimate redemption and deliverance of this life and become the likeness of Christ in verse 21. So, Everything referred to in chapter 3, verses 12 to the end of the chapter, those are the truths, those, that are the truths that we are supposed to hold on to, that we are supposed to stand firm in, what we're supposed to be established upon. For being established in those realities means that there is a, a definite change of focus. If you're standing upon those truths, then you are pressing in to take hold of Christ. And if you're reaching for something, what does it mean? If I'm reaching for something, it means I'm looking at it. That means where's my, that's where my vision is. We, we always read in Hebrews chapter 12 that we're to look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. But I like what it says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25. It says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Why is that so important? 
Because when I fix my gaze directly before me, it means that I am facing that way. It means my whole body has turned to align myself with what I'm looking at or who I'm looking to. So therefore, if I've fixed my, if I've fixed my gaze at what's on my right here, which is a speaker, then if I fix it and I'm supposed to look straight at it, then my body must come into alignment so I'm lined up with it. I'm aligned with it. So I see it directly in front of me. This is what the charge is. That as we are reaching for him, that's what we are to look for. Likewise, in forgetting the things that are behind or pressing on to what's before, whether there's openness to correction as the Lord reveals where I'm going wrong or how I prioritize other things, all of the standards we are instructed to stand firm in are actually met or can be met because of who we're looking at, who we're reaching for, who we're submitted to, where we're going, and everything that we do as the children of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important. I remember many years ago, my mentor, Amon, he got married, and, and I was having a chat with him one day, and, and he was, I was like, how's it going being a, a, a married man, bro? I'll probably ask Brad about this later. They've been married for a, a month now, I think. A month or two months, two months, congratulations, a two-month anniversary. But I remember Eamon telling me one time, and he goes, I've, I've, I've tried so hard to be a good husband, I find myself failing at being a husband. I'm trying so hard to do this, this, and this. And he says, then God talked to me and spoke to my heart and said, you seek me above all else, and I will make you into the husband that I desire, the husband that I designed. And I think with all of these things, we can get caught up in, yes, I've got to forget those things. I've got to reach forward to those things. I've got to hold on to this. I've got to do that. Okay, If we can consume our, our vision with the person of Christ, what we'll find is that we will naturally start to fulfill those things that we are to stand firm in. To stand firm in the ways of the Lord. To, to, hold, sorry, to have my eyes upon Jesus. Then I press in to take hold of him. And being open to correction means that I'll be submitted to him. You'll find that he is moving in you, that he is working with you, that his influence through you happens naturally and it grows from the inside out. And that is evidenced, evidenced of this working by how you treat the rest of the brethren, by how you treat your neighbors who, who don't know Jesus. You see, Paul makes mention of three people in verses 2 to 3. He, just, he talks about Syntyche, he talks about Yodia, he talks about Clement. He makes mention of these guys and his love and his longing and his caring for them. I'm not going to spend any time talking about that, but it's manifest. It's manifest that how they continue to walk in the Lord is demonstrated in how he loves the saints and how he loves the church. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. So the foundation of having the foundation of Christ is then outworked as you look to the needs of others. But that's where we start. The step to live above anxiety starts with walking in the person of Christ. With that as our foundation, jump down to verse 6, because this is where I want to go for. I'm going to move back and forth between some verses. But this is where you have this command in verse 6. Do not be anxious for anything. Do not be anxious 
for anything. We're firstly told to stand firm in the Lord in this way. And because we're standing firm in the Lord in this way, he says, do not be anxious for anything. And I can, I can understand why that phrase can seem somewhat condescending. It can, see, be, it can seem somewhat dismissive. It's like saying to a depressed person, just get happy. Or, or, or saying to an obsessive compulsive person, just stop. It's not as simple as that. Anxiety not, is not as simple as just saying, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. It, it's more to it. But you don't read these words by themselves. This phrase that Paul states in verse 6, do not be anxious for anything. And this is what's crazy. For anything, does that mean anything, anything? Yes. Anything in your life. He says, don't be anxious over it. Don't be anxious. So you've got to ask yourself then, what causes me to be anxious? What causes me to feel such a way about the various things that are going on? But the charge to don't be anxious, it... Okay, here's an illustration. In the late 90s, uh, in the late 90s, I watched a Tri-Nations rugby comp- uh, game. Now, I knew who won. I knew who won. Um, the All Blacks beat the Springboks. I think it was about 1998. The All Blacks beat the Springboks. And I thought, okay, yeah, great game. They won by about, I think, five or six points. And I watched the replay. When I watched the replay, I knew who was going to win. And because I knew who was going to win... I didn't feel anxious at all because I knew who was going to win. With 10 minutes to go, the All Blacks were down by, I think it was 17 points. And I'm like, did they really win the game? But I didn't feel anxious because I already knew the result. And sure enough, in those 10 minutes, the All Blacks came back and they beat the, the, the Springboks quite safely, actually, quite comfortably. But there was no anxiety on my part because I knew how it was going to end. Now... We are in the blessed position of knowing how things are ultimately going to end. We go through things. But he says don't be anxious because of the foundation upon which our lives have been built. Now, if you look, we'll look back on at verse 4 now. Don't be anxious for anything. What helps us to get over that anxiety and if we, we can't be anxious? Here's one thing we can do. We can rejoice. Verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That word rejoice means to, to take delight in, to take or to draw pleasure from, to be glad in. That's what the word rejoice is. But we are told to rejoice in the Lord. It's not being happy for happiness' sake. It's not being joyful for joyfulness' sake. It's being rejoicing, taking delight, being glad in the Lord, and What makes this phrase so important is the fact that it's emphasized twice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. The emphasis in the fact that it's repeated. Often the Lord does that. He'll sit there and say, verily, verily, I say unto you. Or, or, woe, woe, he'll say. Here he says, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. Why? Well, you've got to understand why you can take delight in something. You've got to understand why you can be glad in it. And here's some really cool things. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, I read this. When Jesus teaches in a Sermon on the Mount, he says that in persecution for the Lord, I am to rejoice 
and be glad because great is my reward in heaven. Why can you rejoice in the Lord? Because even in those times when I'm harassed for being his child, my name is written. My, my destiny is secure in the person of Christ. In Luke chapter 12, the Lord Jesus says to the disciples not to rejoice because the spirits are subject to them, but to rejoice because their names are written in heaven. That's what we can rejoice in too. We can rejoice because our security is there. We can rejoice because our names are written in the palms of his hand. That before the foundation of the world, he died for you and I. And that we can rejoice in that. In Luke chapter 5, uh, sorry, in Luke chapter 15, verses 6, 10, and 32, we're given these three stories. We're told about the rejoicing over the lost sheep that was brought back. We were told to, re- we're given the example of rejoicing over the coin that was found. And we rejoice over the fact that a, a son had come back to the father. We are to rejoice because we are the sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. And yet our Lord came to save you and I. He put us as sinners separated from God on his shoulders to bring us back to himself in the person of Christ. We are that coin. That coin that when you read in the story, was over, the house was overturned while she looked for that coin. And when she found it, the whole household rejoiced. So too for you and I, that the Lord Jesus went to the greatest of extents and overturned all of creation for you and for I. That he adorned himself in humanity, that he lived the perfect sinless life, that he died a brutal, unjust death, that he took upon himself all of our sin so that we could come into his presence, so that we could be forgiven and may be made new by his spirit. That is cause for rejoicing. And to rejoice that we are the, the, the prodigal son that went away and that in humility when we came back before him, we were welcomed with open arms. That the, all of heaven rejoiced because we were sinners saved by grace, saved by love. That, that is worth rejoicing over. And, and like I shared a few weeks ago when we looked at core value number nine about prayer and worship, just like prayer and worship, rejoicing takes our eyes off ourselves and puts it on him. That we can rejoice because not that the Spirit's subject to us, but because our names are written in the book of life. Not, not because that we can do this, that, and the other, but because we are children of the Most High God. That's why we can rejoice. And so when you look at verse 5, it says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. Okay, The Lord is near. The reality of gentleness mentioned here is it speaks to us making the choice to be of mild character. But that's not the focus of our rejoicing. What I want to focus on is the second part of that verse. Rejoice. Why? Because the Lord is near. The Lord is close to us. It's a nearness that angels long to look into, if you read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. It's a nearness that walks through the valley of the shadow of death. You will fear no evil in Psalm 23, verse 4. It's a nearness that gives a peace that the world does not give. John 14, 27. 
It's a nearness that result, results from us drawing near to him in, in, in James chapter 4, verse 8. That if we draw near to him, the promise is that he will draw near to us. It is a nearness that puts everything else into perspective. And that's why we can rejoice. That's why we can take delight in the Lord. That's why we can be glad in him because the Lord is near. In each of our contexts, in the frustration of being stuck at home, the Lord is near. And the routine of going through the same old, same old, same old, we can still rejoice because the Lord is near. And the difficulties of overwhelming odds, that in the, the missing of interaction with brothers and sisters in person, the, the isolation from your extended family where you don't get to see your grandkids or your grandparents, the, the hardship of looking for a new career or, or having to take on a new skill set. We can live above anxiety and rejoice. Why? Because the Lord is near. He is the light that shines over the shadows of difficulty. He is the light that drives the darkness away, not only from what's going on around us, but even from within our own minds and our own doubts as the enemy seeks to whisper and get your eyes of, off Jesus. The Lord is near, and that is the foundation upon which Paul builds. Do not be anxious. He says, don't be anxious because you can rejoice in the Lord. And again, I'll say it, rejoice. You don't need to be anxious because the Lord is near. And it's upon that foundation that Paul builds, that upon which Paul builds. It gives us the ability and the capacity to rise above our anxiety. So then, you have to ask yourself this question, well then how does one literally do that? How, 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 how can I get my eyes off what's going on around me? How can I deal with these feelings and these thoughts that race through my mind? How can I fulfill what it talks about when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you will eat or about what you will drink, about what, about your body or what you'll wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Verse 34 says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How do we do that? Or how do we do as Peter says or encourages us to do in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7, he says, cast all your anxiety, King James, cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. And this is what we see in the second part of, of verse 6. He says, in every instance, pray. In every instance, pray. So we start off and he says, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Do not be anxious, but in every instance, pray. I'll read the verse. It says, In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, as cliche as this sounds, the best thing to be done on our part and to live above anxiety, to live in victory, is through the experience of prayer, 
which is, which is talking with the Lord, and petition, which is making request. It's actually making a formal request to an authority. Now, have you guys ever had issues that you just needed to get off your chest? That you've, you've vented, you just had to vent. Have you ever noticed how much better you feel after you vent? You'll sit down and you'll just let loose. You'll talk with your spouse at home and you'll just, you've got a really good friend and you get, oh man, Joe, he just this, 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 this. And just complain, complain, complain. Oh, yeah, you know what I mean. But, you know, okay. And, and you complain and you think, okay, I feel better now because it helps put things in context. That's essentially what tool has been made available to us in prayer. To be able to sit down and talk with the Lord, but not only that, to actually make a formal request of him as well. And you see this in the Psalms. All throughout the Psalms, you have David who pours his heart out to the Lord. He'll sit down and he'll, he'll make his prayer. He'll make his heart known. That's why I think a, a wonderful series in Psalms is just being honest to God. That's what the Psalms are. Psalms are just being honest to God. In Psalm 18, 4, we read this. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. Verse 5. The, so yeah, verse 5. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. This is David pouring out his heart in prayer. And he's saying, this is my situation. It is not ideal. As talked about last week, it's about him making known his complaint to God about his situation, about what he's going through. Maybe he was feeling anxious. I don't know. But here's what's really cool, that this is actually followed by his petition in verse 6. In verse 6b, he says this. So he complains. He pours out his heart. He, he lets God know how he's feeling. In verse 6, he says, I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. He had his prayer why he didn't need to feel anxious is because then he could make his petition. He could sit there and complain to God, and then he could ask of God for help. That's, that's why in every instance, through prayer and petition, regardless of how you're feeling, Lord, I am having so much trouble in this situation right now. I feel so alone at home because I can't see my grandkids, or I can't see my, my, the rest of my family. I can't do this. I can't go out and, and be involved. Lord, this is how I'm feeling right now. Please, I cry out before you now. Help me in Jesus' name. Help me overcome the situation in Jesus' name. And another instance, in Psalm 57.4, once again, David, he says, I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp as swords. That's his prayer. That's him pouring out his heart. But that is preceded by this particular verse in verse 2 of 57. He says, I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. That's his petition, his formal request to one in authority. So we can not only pray and talk to the Lord about what's going on, but then we can also make a formal petition and ask of God for help as well. That's why we don't need to be anxious. That's why we can live above anxiety. We can live above anxiety because who is on our side and ultimately the plan that has been set in place by him, that he is the one in control, and we can take comfort in that control, even though we don't know the full picture. There was a wonderful, 
wonderful illustration. Once again, one of my favorite preachers, Tony Evans. Uh, Brad, shout out for, for Tony Evans. But see, we, we can't expect it to be instant because God is doing what he is doing. We can't sometimes expect it to be a dramatic change because there's a plan that God is working to, a timetable that he is fulfilling. But knowing that our God is in control and that our God is directly involved helps us to live above our anxious thoughts. It helps me to live above an anxiety-filled mentality because I know he is in complete control of the circumstance in his sovereignty. You see, we don't need to get anxious because like when I was watching that rugby game, we know the ultimate outcome. We know that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't have to get anxious because we know the end result, regardless of what takes place during the watching. Now, this illustration that Tony Evans gives was talking about professional wrestling. I don't know if the whole... I, I come from the era of professional wrestling, the likes of uh, The Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. You had, you had the Kiwis. You had two Kiwi boys. They, they were really... Uh, the Bushwhackers, they were called. The Kiwi boys called the Bushwhackers. Now, back in when I was a youngster, wrestling was known as fake. It's not fake. It's staged. It's staged. It's different, okay? It's not fake. It's staged. They work out beforehand who is going to win the match. So they know at the end who the victor is going to be. And so they'll sit down, they'll work out. They won't actually discuss what moves we've done. This, they'll say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to you know, throw you off the rope. I'll do this move. I'll do that move. I'll finish up there. But ultimately, whoever's going to win has been predetermined. That has been designed beforehand, organized beforehand. So we know who's going to win. Now, the spectacle of the pile drivers, the spectacle of the, of the suplexes, of, of jumping off the top rope, of, jumping off the, you know, of, of bouncing off the ropes and doing drop kicks and picking up stairs and hitting people with chairs and all that sort of stuff. The spectacle is for the people and their enjoyment, their entertainment. But the winner has already been decided. And so at the end, whoever was going to win will win, regardless of everything that takes place. Now, the reason why I give that illustration is because in like manner, for us as we live above anxiety, already know the outcome. We already know who is going to win in the end. We already know who is in charge and that ultimately Jesus will be victorious, that Jesus is victorious that God's will be done. And the spectacle of the trials that we go through, the spectacle of the hardships that we experience, whether we get knocked down, whether we get slammed to the mat, whether we end up being disappointed or failure after failure, whether we get dragged around the ring or thrown out over the top rope, all that stuff that we go through is for the spectacle that the world may see and that the world may know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's why, that we as the church of Jesus Christ are a testament that God is in charge, that he ultimately wins, and that we are on the winning side. That's why we can look at that phrase when it says, do not be anxious for anything, is because we are on the winning team. That's why. And so, 
as we look at the scriptures, as we look at how to the glory and the magnifying of how great our God is, we have this privilege to partake of the spectacle for those around us so that God will be manifest, so that God will be glorified, so that his power will be demonstrated through us, and that in Jesus' name, we will overcome. That's why. So, With those truths, brothers and sisters, my encouragement to you is this, that you will stand firm in the Lord in this way, reaching to the person of Christ, forgetting those things that are behind, pressing on toward the mark, heeding the correction of the Spirit of God, that in any instance we encounter, we then, as we stand, will not succumb but rise above the anxiety that we may feel. And the reason why we can overcome that anxiety is because we have a God that we can rejoice in, a God who is near, a God who is with us and will never leave us nor forsake us because we can talk to him, we can request of him, And we in him will experience the victory. That is an exciting word. So, if you'd like to bow your heads, and I'll close in a word of prayer. And I ask that as we pray, you will release whatever anxiousness you're feeling to our Lord. That you will release the circumstance that he has complete control over into his hands that you will release your lives to him so that he may have his will done and fulfilled in, with, and through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that we can live in a position of victory, that we can live above anxiety because you have overcome all things by your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we have a victory. We thank you that in him we can rejoice for our names are written in the book of life. We thank you that in him we are secure even when we go through difficult times. We thank you so much that in him we are called your sons and daughters. We ask now that in the uncertain times that we are experiencing at the moment, you will help us to focus upon you. That as we looked at core values for the last 10 weeks, they are done so so that we can have our minds focused on you and be anxious for nothing. So we ask now that you have your will be done. We thank you that in Christ we are the winners. And I pray that you will help us to have our eyes upon you at all times. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you. And we ask you to dismiss us now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.